Let's pray. Father, as we head into your word, we pray that you would open our hearts to hear and to receive today in your name. Amen. I want to remind us before we head into these verses, and I know it's a lot, but uh, we'll bear with me, uh, of last week. Last week we were talking about the fiery furnace and how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego choose to stay loyal and faithful to God regardless of how God chooses to act in the moment. They know that he can rescue them with power, but they also say, but if he doesn't, we're okay with that. We're okay, but if not, we still will not bow to some false god. And we talked about that phrase, but if not, their recognition of God's sovereignty and their willingness to yield to God, uh, even if things don't go quite as they expect or hope. And we talked about the implications of that, that in our lives, sometimes we can have a posture that says, God, I'll be faithful to you as long as you do what I want you to do. As long as you deliver me from this thing, or as long as you make me well, then I'll be faithful to you. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego demonstrate a, a really good biblical posture regarding God's sovereignty, that they, they recognize God's powers. That it's not a question of not understanding who God is. Uh, they have faith to pray for deliverance. It's not an issue of their faith not somehow being appropriate or, or them having some sort of false mindset about the situation. They recognize who God is. They recognize what's happening before them. But they also are willing to yield to God's sovereignty. And they recognize that God can use the difficult circumstances of life, the brokenness in life, to bring about his glory. And we, we looked a little bit at Paul's thorn in the flesh, uh, at Jesus himself at Gethsemane, at Job, all of whom yield to God in the midst of sickness, brokenness, uh, even evil, and recognize that God is so sovereign and good and wise, even if I don't quite understand what's happening in my life. And that's very applicable, I think, in, in all of our lives. Because at some point or another, you will encounter something in your life that you feel doesn't make sense. And if you're a Christian, you wonder, where's God in the middle of this? Why would he let this happen? And you're in good company. Because uh, all through the Bible, we find people who are wondering, God, what are you doing and where are you? But they choose to remain faithful to God despite the circumstances. And God is honored and glorified in that. We talked about how sometimes we don't understand exactly why certain things happen. Say, in Job's life, he's never given a behind-the-scenes look at why God would allow his family to be taken and his health to be taken. He's never given an inside track on that question, and yet he chooses to remain faithful to God, and God does eventually restore him. So there's a, a, a model here for us in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and indeed in Daniel in the previous chapters, of willingly following God even when it's difficult and, and being willing to submit to God and not, uh, uh, there's a humility to that, right? Not, not being so proud and full of oneself uh, that when difficulty comes, we, uh, we're, we're sort of resisting God or against God, but they're willing to walk with God in the middle of that. And now that question of will you yield your proud heart? Will you be humble 
in difficult circumstances is brought to both of these kings. What will they do in the midst of their pride or their hubris? Both of them do not initially yield to God, but they're given an opportunity to repent and to come back, or not back, but to come to faith in Yahweh, to put aside their other gods, to put aside their idols. I love that this morning we sang that song that talks about uh, casting down our idols. Give us clean hands, give us pure hearts. Because that temptation to worship or to live for something else is still so present in our lives. It might not be some gold statue sitting in your house that you're tempted to worship, but there may be other things in your life that you're tempted to give precedence to, that this thing demands my allegiance and my time and attention. And I give more time to this thing in my life than I give to God. And in that moment, that thing can become like an idol. And so there's a question here for Nebuchadnezzar and for Belshazzar. Will they repent and respond? Let's start with Nebuchadnezzar. He has a second dream. Daniel gives the interpretation, which is kind of what he's known for now. And basically the gist is this. Nebuchadnezzar dreams of a giant tree that's giving shade and shelter to beasts and to birds. And it's, it's huge. It's like this cosmic world tree going on. And then he sees an angel descend. And the angel says, let's cut it down. He's the divine lumberjack shows up, right? In his flannel and his, his awesome axe. And he says, let's cut the thing, right? But we'll leave the stump. And so they cut it down and, and the stump is left. And Nebuchadnezzar wakes up and, and is wondering, what is this about? And Daniel gives the interpretation in chapter 422. He says, it's you. The tree's you. It's you, O king. And again, acknowledging Babylon's power and majesty. Several times throughout Daniel, we've recognized this, that uh, even in the, in the statue, right, with the, the head of gold, is signifying Babylon's power and influence in the ancient world. And yet, it is uh, also, as much as that is given by God in many ways, it can be a source of pride. And that's what this comes to for Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar is told, verse 25, you'll be driven from among men. You'll be dwelling with the beasts of the field. You'll be made to eat grass like an ox. Several times we've heard that phrase, you'll be wet with the dew of heaven, right? You're living outside. You're roughing it, right? And even Nebuchadnezzar is going to have to go through some sort of transformation or judgment, right? God also declares that while this is happening, your kingdom will be kept for you and that's the reference to the stump being sort of bound and kept for when Nebuchadnezzar returns. But the point is this. It's going to be held for him until he recognizes that heaven rules. That the Lord God Almighty reigns and not you, Nebuchadnezzar. And so what does Daniel call Nebuchadnezzar to do? And I think this is a, a really appropriate uh, call even for us today. Verse 27, this is from chapter 4. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. And here it is. This is so appropriate for any of us uh, wrestling with our hearts, wrestling with issues of pride or humility or control. He says, break off your sins. Break off your sins. There's a, an active call not to just sort of dismiss my sinful behavior, but to break that thing off. Break off your sins. Almost a sense that they bind you, right? Your sin 
Your sinful behavior is binding you. Break that thing off. And you do that by practicing righteousness. So the, the antidote, antidote to sinful behavior in our lives is obedience to Christ. It's, it's choosing righteousness. I heard a good uh, illustration of uh, someone asked the question, how do, I, how do I do that? How do I practice obedience to Christ? Or how do I choose to follow him when I, I don't really want to? Like, I don't really feel like it, but I know that that's what I should do. And uh, the fellow that was giving the illustration said, you know what? Um, if, if our lives are like a train, the heart is the caboose. The heart doesn't steer the train. Sometimes our hearts may not want to do a certain thing, even though we know we should. But as we practice it and choose to obey, we're called to obedience to Christ. As we obey Jesus and follow him in righteousness and holiness, we are, are turning from down the track of sinfulness to a track of righteousness and holiness. And you may start down that track of practicing uh, your faith, but it might take a while for your heart as the caboose to kind of get finally turned around because it's at the end. And you may have to choose to live for Jesus, even though your heart may not quite be there emotionally. Does that make sense? And so there's a choice. It's obedience. There's a choice you have to make. And eventually your heart will come around, right? As you continue to practice that. But it may take time. And here Nebuchadnezzar has had a few chances to turn around. He's had Daniel interpret the first dream where he said, you know, hey, your God is amazing, right? And then he's had the fiery furnace episode with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, where he said, well, who, which, what, you're, how can your God save you, right? And then he does, and then he kind of praises the God again, but it's still your gods. It's not my God yet. It's still your gods. Your God's over there. And now Nebuchadnezzar is finally being called to account. So verse 27 again, break off your sins by practicing righteousness your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. So notice uh, there's a social dimension to this. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness. We may think, yeah, that's sort of in one's personal life. But then your iniquities, which is a, kind of another word for sin, right, or your transgressions, uh, deal with your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, uh, by practicing loving your neighbor as yourself will start to transform your heart, right? What does that tell us? Well, first, it, it tells us that God, God actually holds us to account. And God holds people to account, not just his own people, but all people he holds to account. And Daniel here is having to call Nebuchadnezzar to actually conform to the moral standards which Daniel had learned from God. These are foreign standards to Nebuchadnezzar, right? Even a, even a pagan ruler is accountable to God for his actions. He's not exempt. And neither are any of us. Whether we are disciples of Jesus or we are wandering far from him, or even if we are actively rejecting God in our lives, we will be held to account for how we choose to live. And that, I think, should put some measure of the fear of the Lord in our hearts to recognize he is holy and I am not. 
He is God, and I am not. And we want to take his word seriously because he is holy. But we can also take his word joyfully because we know he loves us. And he calls us into life and into wholeness. And so there's a warning here for Nebuchadnezzar. He's called to change his ways. And if he does repent, there seems to be a sense in which this may not come to pass. Or, or it may be uh, postponed in some sense, right? And so God is still giving Nebuchadnezzar a chance to repent. How patient is God, right? Here's a guy who has set up idol worship and led his whole nation into idolatry and who's invaded other nations and killed people, and yet God is still patient with him, right? If God can extend that sort of compassion and patience to a, basically a criminal warlord, how much more does he extend compassion and patience to you and me? I don't know about you, but I haven't led a whole nation astray in idolatry lately. It's not quite in my wheelhouse. But if God can show patience and mercy to a guy like Nebuchadnezzar, surely he will show patience and mercy to you. And he does. He does. And just imagine that compassion and kindness of God for you. And we don't take that for granted because God does call us to account. The whole year goes by, and Nebuchadnezzar refuses to change. And he's looking around and pretty enamored with what he sees. And he still hasn't bent the knee. I think it's interesting, you know, like I said, he's encountered God in Daniel's first interpretation of his first dream back in chapter 2. And then he's encountered God's presence in the fiery furnace episode pretty dramatically, right, um, in, in, the, in that moment with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but he still won't bow the knee. And I was thinking about this. Did you know, you know, you can believe in God, but still not bow the knee? Right? You can, you can say, I've always known of God. <laughs> I always believed in Jesus in some sense. I, I grew up going to church, but you may still not have bowed the knee. Or you could say, I believe God's out there somewhere, but I, it doesn't call me to some sort of obedience in my life to actually live for him. But a true conversion, what being a disciple of Jesus is about, involves a, a shift of our allegiance from one master to another. It involves choosing him as our Lord and Savior. In fact, that's what water baptism is meant to be. It's the shift of allegiance from one kingdom to another. It's a declaration, I like to say, of potential treason against the state because we're saying the flag is not my final master, but Jesus is. Caesar's not Lord. Jesus is. And that's a good question for us, especially if, if you do believe in God or you've grown up in church, is to ask, have you bowed the knee? Have you actually given him your life and your ambitions and your your plans? Have you surrendered your own sense of desiring to control <laughs> or your, your fears or maybe your angers? Have you actually surrendered that to him? 
And sometimes we think, you know, if God just did some miraculous thing in my life, then I'd really believe. I've had people say that, right? I think if God just did this thing, like then all kinds of people would come to faith. But wrong. No, it doesn't work that way because Nebuchadnezzar saw miraculous stuff happen in his life and in his kingdom. That, and he even acknowledged God's existence, but he still hadn't made a personal choice to follow him. He still hadn't bent the knee. And now he's going to have to account for his own sins. And there will come a time, like Nebuchadnezzar did, where all of us will have to face the Lord. And we'll have to account for how we lived our lives. And so here he is, walking on the roof in the royal palace, and he's looking at the temples and the gardens, and uh, he's filled with boasting. And the divine judgment comes to pass. And he's, we're not given a lot of details. Somehow he's removed from office in some sense, and he's out eating grass on his hands and knees. And his, his hair's grown really long, right? And his nails have gotten really long. And he's undergone some kind of transformation. And what does he sound like? He sounds like a beast himself, doesn't he? They keep saying, like an ox. You're eating grass like an ox. Your, your nails are growing long, like eagle's talons, like a bird's talons. And here's the message of that moment. When we turn away from our calling to be God's image bearers, and part of our calling as God's image bearers is to exercise dominion over his creation, and that includes his creatures, right? We're called to rule alongside God in uh, acting out his character in the world, his authority. And instead, when we go the way of Babylon, when greed or violence or our own hubris takes root in our hearts, we forsake our image-bearing calling and we become like the beasts that we're called to steward. And that's what happens to Nebuchadnezzar. He becomes like the very thing that he's called to exercise wise and loving stewardship over. He becomes like a beast. And that's spelled out in the description. Eating grass and... uh, being washed by the dew. He's brought low. He's humbled. But the amazing thing is the story doesn't end there because what happens at the beginning of Daniel 4 and at the end of Daniel 4, he turns from pride and bloodshed to humility and worship. And we skipped this section, but I want to read Daniel 4, 1 and 3. This is part of his letter that he's writing because King Nebuchadnezzar repents and then gets to write some of the Bible, which is really cool. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. Remember, this is a bloodthirsty warlord ruling an empire. What does he say? Peace be multiplied to you. This is a guy who's undergone some kind of transformation. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. Not the Most High God of Daniel. Not the Most High God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The Most High God who has done things for me. My God. He's finally acknowledged who's truly the Lord. And it's not the King of Babylon. It's God. How great are his signs. How mighty his wonders. His kingdom. His kingdom. Not Babylon. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. That's the mountain that he saw in the dream. Right? Now he's acknowledging it. And his dominion endures from generation to generation. Who do you write the letter to? All the peoples 
and nations and languages. That's the same people he was writing to not long ago to come and worship the idol. It's the same, uh, it's the same addresses in the to box of his email. It's the same group. And instead of calling them to idol worship, he's calling them to hear his personal testimony of how Yahweh changed his life and how he was brought low. And yet through repentance, God restored him. He's moved from being a persecutor of the faithful to becoming a witness of his own faith in God. An encounter with the living God transformed Nebuchadnezzar's life. And Jesus extends that same invitation to each and every one of us to know his power and his goodness and his majesty and to allow our hearts to be transformed as we give ourselves to him. And that's for all of us, whether we grew up in a nice stable home or we grew up somewhere on the street, we're all invited to come. We're all sinners. And the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all so that we can all come to new faith and life in him. Nebuchadnezzar is humbled, and his humility brings him to a place of worship. And you know, it's interesting, when I was studying this, someone said, I'm so excited to see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven one day, and I never thought about that. It would be quite fun to sit beside King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, who's really good at modeling with clay. He's probably sitting there making little... <laughs> you build, because he seems really into building stuff, right? But apparently he repents. And he, he, wrote, he got to write part of our Bible. And very quickly then, notice the alternate response in Daniel 5. Now Nebuchadnezzar's son's in power, and his son should know better than to go the same way of pride that his dad went, right? And Daniel calls him on it and says, you know what happened with your dad and how he was brought low by the Most High God. You should know that. And yet here's his son uh, throwing a huge party and getting into all kinds of stuff he shouldn't and using the vessels from Jerusalem, which he probably shouldn't, and being filled with pride, not unlike how his dad was. And once again, God's judgment appears, not in a dream this time, but in the writing on the wall. And once again, the king of Babylon doesn't know what to do and calls in Daniel. Takes a little bit of doing this time, but eventually Daniel shows up. And what does Daniel say? He says, Belshazzar, you have not humbled your heart, though you knew all about your father being humbled by God. And you've lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. You've praised the gods of silver and gold, those false idols, but the God in whose hand is your breath. That's a great line, hey? In whose hand is your breath? And whose are all your ways you have not honored? And your days are numbered, and you've been weighed and found wanting, and the kingdom's going to Medo-Persia, which was predicted in the, in the statue, right? With the silver, gold from silver. The next one's Persia. And unlike his father, we had Nebuchadnezzar repent, go through a transformation. It was brilliant. What happens to Belshazzar? No sign of repentance, and that night he's murdered. And so both stories ask us about our own pride. Both stories ask us to think about humbling ourselves before God. And, and some of us have a lot in life to be proud of. We've got our status and our land and our jobs and our various 
successes and, and others, we may not have a whole lot, but we can still kind of cling like Nebuchadnezzar with ferocity uh, at our own hearts to try and grasp at control and power and, and we struggle with our own pride and fear and all the rest of it. And we become afraid. And we may not be proud in that sense, but we may have other sins, other places in our hearts that God is calling us to give over and give to him. And so the question is, will we be humbled and will we seek his face, give us clean hands, give us pure hearts, and bow the knee and be obedient to him and follow him? Will we allow him to shape us with his compassion and with his grace? Or do we carry on in our own ways? And Daniel here shows us that God is just incredibly patient, incredibly patient and incredibly kind, but he still does call us to account. He's good, but he is holy and he loves us with his desires for life. And that's a call away from from one way of living into a new way of living. And if we confess our sins like Nebuchadnezzar does, God is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so today, that's the question for us. Where are you at in your own heart? Have you bowed the knee? Maybe you haven't today, and I encourage you to do that, to give your life to Jesus. Maybe you know about God, but you still sort of want to limit how much he kind of calls you to live for him, and you want to kind of control your own life in a lot of ways. And uh, that's difficult to give that over to him. But he loves you, and his ways are good, and he takes care of us. Is there something else in your life? Maybe there's an area in your life where you're still wrestling with anger or fear or there's some sin going on in your life that you need to repent of. And I encourage you to give that over to Jesus today and let him come and shape your heart. What will mark your life? Will you allow God to guide you in such a way that he will come and renovate our hearts with his love? Just as Nebuchadnezzar is transformed from a beast like he truly is. He finally looks like what he's been all along. To find him restored and praising God and inviting others to worship. What a transformation, hey? So let's pray to that end. That God would work in our hearts and that we would ourselves bow the knee. That we would be humble before a good and holy God. Let's pray. Jesus, today we thank you for your word and we thank you that uh, you do call us to account because you love us, not because you're um, vindictive, but because you care so much for us and you recognize that our sin and our brokenness uh, leads to death. And your heart for us is life. And that means calling us to change the direction of which way the train is going in our hearts. And sometimes, Lord, we may not feel like we want to change, even if we know we do. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to steer towards you and to choose holiness and goodness and repentance. And as we choose to be obedient to you, Jesus, that our hearts and our desires would eventually be formed and shaped to follow in that direction. And we thank you, God, that you do that work in us by your spirit. So, Lord, I pray today for those that are here that are struggling and 
uh, there is sin or there's pride or there's other issues in our hearts. And Lord, I pray that you would convict us where there's, where there's things we need to let go of, uh, God, that you would show us where that is and you would call us to repentance and humility. Lord, where uh, we have been trying to walk with you and, and follow you, um, Lord, I pray that you would renew that desire and that passion to be obedient and to seek you first, Jesus. Um, I pray for, the, for those that have things going on in their lives. There's just medical issues or financial issues or uh, things going on in families, and uh, they're just going through a really hard time. That, Lord, you would uh, draw us to yourself and, and help us to remain faithful to you, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, even when things are looking really discouraging. And that, that we would know you're standing with us uh, in the furnace, that you're with us in that place of difficulty and struggle. And uh, we thank you, Lord, that uh, when we yield ourselves to you, that you're faithful to come alongside us. So, Jesus, today I, I thank you for this church family, and I, I pray that you would do a work in our hearts uh, to seek you first, to put away our own pride, uh, our own bitterness, our own angers or fears, Lord, and to, to trust you and to follow you. And, uh, yeah, would you bless us today as we go, Father, and, uh, yeah, go before each one as they head into this week. I pray your covering and your grace upon us in your name. Amen.